This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. You will find the PDF document that we're following today on our website, rediscoveringgod.ca, where the recordings, the PDFs, the podcasts are all listed there. You can share that website with your friends and they can follow along. We'd also really love to invite you to the Monday night Zoom discussion where we all gather in fellowship with each other, all us listeners of the podcast, where we can come with our questions comments, thoughts, um, resources. It's a wonderful time of encouragement where um, we get to affirm each other and encourage each other. Um, so that's a Monday nights at 7.30 Mountain Time. You can just type in 403-506-9201 and we'd love to have you there. here we are at number 100. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I have been actually pretty giddy about this for a while now. And I've been thinking, I cannot believe that this message has been going this long when it seems like this is still so fresh and new in my life. So (laughs) I'm pretty excited. You know, we started this, Ian and I started this, what, two years ago. And it's just amazing that, you know, there'll be times when we would wonder, well, where do we go from here? And then a topic would come up and we would do that. And then another one would come up and we would do that. And, and it just, that just seems to be the way that it has gone. And the Lord has led us to things that we didn't ever plan to address. And uh, it's been exciting to see our picture of God grow and develop and, um, the response that we have gotten from people has been very affirming. Many people have sent us messages yes. that they have been uh, encouraged and, and have more hope and, and have been drawn to a better picture of who God really is. And that has been wonderful. Yes. So Ian, we are number 100. Yeah. Where do we go today? We're going to... Um decode the role of the Holy Spirit and a person's conscience in this podcast. So mm, give you a little, great topic. A little introduction in my life. For long in my life, I thought the condemnation that I felt came from the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if I made that uh, conclusion on my own or I was taught it somewhere along the way. So 
this puzzled me when I thought about it because my maternal cousins, who were all Christians, they seemed to have a very different conscience to mine. Uh, I grew up uh, as a Seventh-day Adventist and uh, uh, I didn't eat pork and I didn't dance and there were a whole lot of things I didn't do that they felt quite free to do. And then on my paternal cousins were agnostic, mm -hmm. but they seemed to have a conscience too. So I, I puzzled about that. If they didn't want God in their life or weren't sure there was a God, how come they had a conscience uh, if the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and the conscience were the same thing? Mm -hmm. Then, you know, recently I uh, was reading the story of Adam and Eve and I got to thinking about uh, why did God ask Adam, who told you you were naked? I mean, like, mm. if the Holy Spirit was his conscience, why didn't the Holy Spirit tell him? And if the Holy Spirit had told him he was naked, then why is God asking that question? Because he knows very well mm -hmm. who told him. I don't know. Did, did you guys ever have any of these sort of conundrums in your life? Or? Well, I, I just, you know, recently in dialogue with people who feel very convicted that, and I'm not wanting to make this a debate about vaccine, but that's where it kind of came up for me, where some of my friends feel like it's a matter of conscience that they should not get, take the vaccine and other people feel that they should, that we should. And, and, and I'm thinking, how does this work? Like if the spirit is leading us, how come we come to different conclusions? Like you'd think we would all unite in the same spot. Mm -hmm. So it just made me begin to mm -hmm. question because it seemed like whenever someone says, well, this is a matter of conscience for me, then how do you argue with that? It's like, what can I say that, you know, and, and so it began to help me realize maybe there's something more that I don't understand about what my conscience is and it can't equate that with this is what, God is telling me through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Jesus had uh, a little to say about the uh, Holy Spirit coming after he left. Perhaps the first uh, passage we'll read is John 14, 26. Uh, Sasha, if you can read that, please. Uh, John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Okay, so um, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' representative. Now, that's important, kind of like the ambassador of a country. So when mm -hmm. you're an ambassador, you get called in or you get told periodically what to say about the country. As the representative, mm. you, you speak as a representative of the country. So I want to make a few points here. The Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus. Since it's Jesus' representative, whatever mm. we say about the Spirit needs to be congruent with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Mm -hmm. My representative mm -hmm. means he is my ambassador. He will do as I did. We are a team working towards the same ends. Now, here's what's interesting mm -hmm. to me, is that Jesus very seldom condemned actions in people. 
And when he did, there were tears in his eyes. So uh, this is important. Warren, if you can read Matthew 23, 37 to 39, and while you're turning there, I want to remind our listeners that um, Matthew 23 is the uh, confrontation Jesus has with the hypocritical religious leaders of his day. And he calls them all sorts of uh, nasty names. Uh, He's really upset with them. And it seems so out of character until you realize what's going on. So we find out in Matthew, at the end of the chapter, 37 to 39, uh, the body language of Jesus. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So I think it's clear that uh, there are tears in Jesus' eyes, maybe running down his cheeks, and there's certainly not gravel in his voice uh, as he's talking uh, to these religious leaders. we need to make it crystal clear that Jesus was in the salvation business, not the judging or condemning business. We need to do this because if the Holy Spirit is Jesus' representative, we need to be clear on this matter for Jesus because then we'll understand how the Holy Spirit works. And so there there are quite a few passages we could read. I'm just going to choose two in John. John 3.17, Sasha. You'll read that, and um, Mm -hmm. Warren, if you can read 1247. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Thank you. Notice, not to judge the world, but to save the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Now, that's that's quite uh, significant. Warren, 1247. Mm -hmm. This is an amazing passage. It says... I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not to judge it. I've come to save the world and not to judge it. And he's talking in the context of those who don't believe him in uh, or disobey him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just not in the judging Mm -hmm. business. Where do we get the idea that... uh, the Holy Spirit brings condemnation on it. Here's the passage that's uh, significant in this regard. It's found in John 16, verse 5 to 9. Uh, Warren, if you can read that, please. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate or comforter, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Thank you. So notice, um, he will convict the world of its sin. That word convict has a, a, a negative meaning to it. 
You know, I was once mm -hmm. doing Bible studies in one of the inmates at Bowdoin, and uh, I got there, and uh, this uh, man said to me, so I've been studying here. It says uh, uh, I must be convicted, but I am a convict. Mm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. how can you convict me anymore <laughs> so, <laughs> that was yeah. really funny yeah look yeah. convict simply means convince make aware uh show the right way expose reveal convince a person uh it uh mm -hmm. it's, it's just uh uh a powerful experience for a person to be convicted and it mm -hmm. doesn't have to be on religious matters um, it can be mm -hmm. on scientific matters political matters uh, family history matters mm -hmm. anything like that um, but the conviction here uh, has to do with the world's sin is refusing to believe in me so the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. is going to come and bring to people's attention that they are refusing to believe in Jesus. We'll talk about this in a minute. I think it's important to realize that the, the sin, the world's sin that it is convicting us of is specific. It's not every bad deed that we did that he's making us feel guilty about. Yes. Mm -hmm. Good, point. Good distinction, yeah. And I was just going to say what stood out for me uh, in this verse was that he's, he's talking about in his time, he's saying, you know, it's best if I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. But then that brought up the question of, was the Holy Spirit not working in the lives of people all the way before Jesus came? Like this all of a sudden made me wonder what what was the role of the Holy Spirit before uh, Jesus came? Yeah, that's a good question. What about the Holy Spirit in the uh, Old Testament? And uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Jesus' life uh, before he went to heaven. So in education, mm -hmm. we have the saying, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher comes. Mm. Mm. Meaning that if you're not looking for something, you won't recognize when it arrives. I'll just think about, right. uh, I used to hear older boys talking about uh, which girls they liked, and I didn't get it. You know, as a, a young boy, uh, I didn't get what these mm -hmm. guys saw in girls. But then mm -hmm. came a time when my eyes were open too, and I started mm -hmm. to see things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about refusing to believe in Good Jesus. Point. Mm -hmm. it, th this manifests in different ways. You can have atheism, mm -hmm. agnosticism, moral arrogance. People just don't need Jesus. Rebellion against Jesus. Betrayal or denial of Jesus. Apathy towards Jesus and so on. It, you know, one of the most interesting things to me is that the devils were eyewitnesses of Jesus' births. Uh, his growth, um, his ministry, his baptism, the miracles he did, the death he died, his resurrection, but they don't believe in him. They don't turn to him 
to be saved from mm -hmm. their evil. So you can have all this factual mm -hmm. knowledge. I mean, can I say this? If you want to know factual information about Jesus, ask a devil if you know one. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure that's not the right thing to say, but they really have the <laughs> on Jesus' uh, biography. But they don't believe in him as a savior. You know, right. the secular people, noble secular people, find meaning in acts of service, living morally and generously. But that doesn't mean they're believing mm -hmm. in Jesus. You can mm -hmm. have Christian humanists. They, mm -hmm. they do all these good works, mm -hmm. but they don't actually believe in Jesus as their savior. True. And it, it creates a lot of insecurity when you don't understand that Jesus is your savior. He will do for you what you cannot mm -hmm. do for yourself. He's got your back covered. He knows you by name, you're precious to him, and he's going to see you through to that future life where we live in deepest intimacy with him. Right. Right, because what sometimes comes to my mind is what you have uh, brought out before is this idea of uh, thinking of Jesus as helping us to be better. Um, and, and, and that sort of almost goes into that, what you were saying with the humanist perspective, like helping, you know, us like that we're doing good deeds and good actions and, and being, you know, kind of generous to the world, um, rather than seeing him as something that is completely something that we could never do on our own. Um, and as our savior. So I like that, how you're saying that. Thank you. So let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. Let's talk about our conscience. Below your conscience, your conscience is actually built on your sense of integrity. Every person, unless they're a psychopath, has a sense of integrity. By this, we mean you know there's a right way and a wrong way of doing something. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you know what the right way is or the wrong way. It just means that you know there's a right way and a wrong way. Like cannibals mm -hmm. know you shouldn't eat some people. <laughs> right. And, and probably okay. different cannibals use a different criteria than others to determine when it's safe to eat somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Good but point. You, you see, they have a very different conscience. Yeah, um, very. To us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they know there's mm -hmm. the right time and the wrong time and the right person and the wrong person to eat. Mm -hmm. This comes from mm -hmm. the sense of integrity. Uh, I believe mm -hmm. we have it because we made in the image of God. And that's part of the image that we bear. Um, you know, criminals all agree that you don't squeal on each other. So that's their kind right. of behavior. And they're very upset if you don't stick to the code of behavior, that's their sense of mm -hmm. integrity. Uh, and, you know, right. children are very good at challenging parents over inconsistencies because they have this sense. Oh, yes, very much. Yeah, yeah. you know. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is right and what is wrong depends upon your conscience. Now, so where does the conscience come from? The conscience is mm -hmm. developed under the guidance of your parents, your relatives, your church, 
significant people in your life, education, culture, and we could probably list a whole lot more things. Now, consciences in people differ from culture to culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Some people see some things as uh, that you shouldn't do, and other people from a different background would see no problem with doing that behavior. I'll give you a simple yeah. example. In Canada, when you come to a person's house, you drop your shoes either outside mm-hmm. the front door or just inside. You don't wear your shoes in the house. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of unique right. to Canada, you know? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Right. When, when, I then, was, when I was at Walla Walla for college and I would go to someone's home and without thinking about it, I would take my shoes off at the door. And they would look at me and say, oh, you're from Canada. They knew right away where I was from. Thank you. It differs from family to family. There's certain things that uh, we do in our family that Warren and Cheryl don't do, or they have practices we don't follow. It, it, your conscience differs from church to church. Mm-hmm. And Seventh-day Adventists seem to have a more uh, comprehensive conscience than uh, most other religious groups because um, we have conscience about health, diet, Sabbath behavior, recreation, and so on. Um, and one of the things about cults is that their consciences often border on being neurotic. They seem to be a bit overburdened. By the way, I'm not suggesting that Seventh-day Adventist is a cult. I'm just saying that cults usually have overburdened consciences. Imagine drinking Jim Jones's laced Kool-Aid because your conscience approved mm-hmm. this kind of submission to God's leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. where does condemnation yeah. come from? Well, condemnation comes from the devil. He's the accuser of the brothers and the sisters. It comes from people who judge and condemn us, who are significant in our lives. And it comes from our sense of integrity. When we violate our conscience, our sense of integrity warns us we are in moral danger. And these warnings are what we refer to as guilt. I just want to stop there for a minute and see if we're tracking together. So I I guess I was expecting that you would say that, that the spirit through our conscience will condemn us, but you're not suggesting that. No, I'm not. Interesting. I'm suggesting that there are enough other sources of condemnation Mm -hmm. um, so that the Holy Spirit hardly has to do that. Okay. If ever. Mm -hmm. So we can actually divide guilt up into three different kinds of guilt, Uh, genuine or true guilt, false guilt, and neurotic guilt. And, And it's important to make this distinction because uh, it determines how you deal with this guilt. True guilt is the easiest to deal with. Um, We all know the process. You identify and confront the wrongdoing. That's called confession. You make restitution uh, as is possible and you purpose to change your ways. 
good example is the dialogue between Jesus and Peter about his denial of Jesus. Uh, you know, we mm -hmm. we're so wrapped up in our own lives that we forget these disciples when Jesus died, they felt terrible. Um, so terrible that Judas committed suicide. Yeah. So after his resurrected, Jesus probably talked to most of the disciples individually uh, to help restore them, uh, give them back their courage and know that he was not condemning them. But we do have the story of Jesus and Peter. And Peter denied Jesus mm -hmm. three times. And so Jesus goes through this three times with Peter about, Peter, do you, do you love me? Implication being, are you going to deny me again? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's resolved. So uh, genuine guilt is not difficult to resolve unless your pride gets in the way. Right. And you just don't mm -hmm. want to acknowledge that you did anything wrong. False right. guilt is the result of a misinformed conscience. I went to an Adventist high school. I picked up a whole list of thou shalt nots that my parents didn't have. So mm -hmm. one of the more memorable results was that on the way back from church, my dad stopped to get the mail. And I informed him that he was breaking the Sabbath day. Mm. And he looked at me as if, <laughs> like, what is wrong with this kid of mine? You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, the while I was in high school, the movie The Ten Commandments came out, and my dad took me mm -hmm. to see The Ten Commandments. And my teachers, my blessed teachers, had informed me that if you go to the movies, the angels stop at the door, and you are unprotected. And this was such a traumatic right. experience for me. I was sure the roof was going to mm -hmm. fall on mm -hmm. me and judgment day had come. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, you know, I once visited a 90 year old plus lady. Uh, her daughter had asked me to visit her. She was Seventh day Adventist lady. I talked to her for a little bit after finding her in the biggest hospital in the Southern Hemisphere in Johannesburg. And I said to her, Granny, do you know that you're dying? And she said, yes, Pastor, I know. And then she burst into tears. When she collected herself, I, I asked her, I said, are you really afraid of dying? She said, yes, I am. Because when I say my prayers at night, I go to sleep before I say amen. And I know I'm going to hell. Because she falls asleep before she says amen. And yes. the amen is the part that she has to say. <laughs> oh, boy. I did not yeah. sleep well that night. This dear saint mm -hmm. had attended church for decade after decade, and she thought God was mm -hmm. that picky. Mm -hmm. Right. Was mm -hmm. Tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. So the way to deal with yeah. uh, false guilt is to present the truth, come to know the truth. Was I able to convince? My dear sister, 90 plus years old, that God wasn't that picky? I don't think so. 
Mm. I did my eloquent, persuasive best. Mm -hmm. But that was such a big thing mm -hmm. for her. You know, false guilt can yeah. be lethal. lethal. The first American Adventist missionaries to non-Christians went to Seleucy Mission in now Zimbabwe. And if you visit there and go to the cemetery, they're all buried there because they would not take quinine as a prophylactic or as a treatment for malaria. Why not? Ellen White had said mm -hmm. not to take drugs, and they classified quinine as a drug. Mm. I'm sure they were sincere, but they died anyway of malaria. Wow. Their South African guide mm. would take quinine after they'd gone to bed. He lived a long life mm -hmm. and became a missionary himself. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a sad story. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, now we need to talk about neurotic guilt. So neurotic guilt is a guilt mm. that no forgiveness can be found for. I hope you both know about Shakespeare's mm -hmm. Lady Macbeth compulsively washing her hands. Right. Because she's murdered her husband, mm -hmm. Duncan. I met a lady here yeah. in central Alberta who believed she had caused her husband's death because of something she was doing in the car and they had a car accident and he was killed. Um, mm. She tried mind-numbing chemicals, hypnosis, self-pity. Um, she had mm -hmm. uh, electroconvulsive shock therapy. Mm. Mm -hmm. But the guilt simply remained. Hmm. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, mm -hmm. is an example of neurotic guilt. Neurotic guilt usually requires professional assistance to be dealt with. So mm -hmm. it's it's a neurotic guilt is when we believe something that isn't true, that isn't based on any reality. Uh, yeah, yeah, and mm -hmm. it's it's not so much a cognitive. Uh, persuasion. It's an emotional persuasion. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Men and women who go to war, uh, when they kill people, they're violating their sense of integrity. Mm. They right. know they are doing wrong. And mm -hmm. so they, it's a result of violating something that's deep within them. Their conscience mm -hmm. may approve it, but it violates their sense, their sense of integrity. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So just to mention briefly that shame is experienced very similar to guilt, that the origin of shame is not because of something you've done, but because of something you are. Mm -hmm. Like parents mm -hmm. who tell their child, you are an accident. We didn't actually want you. Mm hmm. Well, and I was thinking about shame as well, because I was thinking of um, Brene Brown's work in this area. And so I wanted to see what her definition of shame was. Um, and she defines it as uh, shame as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done or failed to make us unworthy of connection. And what that right away made me think of a perfect lie 
that um, Satan gives us that takes us right out of the game. And um, I was just thinking specifically with my daughter, my eldest daughter, this is something that is very personal to her. And I feel like she has always felt, um, I always felt the veil was very thin for her in experiencing um, God or a spirit, uh, spiritualness near her. And so I feel that this is a very strong attack on her life right now um, because she has very specifically shared that kind of a sentiment. And I thought, wow, yeah, very powerfully damaging. Yeah. Interestingly enough, our first podcast was about shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. So what shall we say about the Holy Spirit's involvement in these matters we've been talking about? Well, before you go um, to that, Ian, I, yes. I want just to summarize, because these, so we've got true guilt, we've got false guilt, we've got neurotic guilt and shame, and they all feel the same. If, if we don't think about why we feel the way we are, we don't we won't be able to distinguish until we break it down and say, okay, I feel guilty. Did I do something wrong? If I did, I can make that right. Uh, if I can't come up with anything that I've mm-hmm. done wrong, then it's a false guilt. Mm-hmm. It's something that the enemy has bringing on me. It could be neurotic. It could be based on something, just an emotional feeling that I have that, that is, is out of whack. Or, or shame, a feeling that I, not just what I've done, but I am not right. I am bad or evil or whatever. Yeah. So it's important yeah. to be able to, to make these distinctions because the feeling is really all the same. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, well, a, a point that you were making and that I found very um, telling was that you were talking about that uh, temperament can really play into um, our experience um, and can also really do this intensifying of guilt and shame. And I found that to be very personally true for myself. And, and, and my family knows this about me. And it's, it's very interesting how when there's an interaction with something and I can sort of uh, step back a little bit and see it, I go, oh my goodness, yeah, like, my next person here is not experiencing this to this degree that I am. And as an empath, as an empath, everything feels a lot more intense for me. And so (laughs) this also then as well. So I, I appreciated uh, that you put that in there. So in James, thank you. James chapter five, um, it says, confess your faults one to another and pray for each other. This is uh, where it finds its meaning, is that when we say to somebody, you know, I really feel guilty about, um, and they look at it and say, huh, that's not your guilt, or Mm. this is how you can deal with it. Um, Because sometimes we get so caught up in this emotional experience of guilt that we can't look at it objectively. Mm -hmm. What shall we say about the Holy Spirit's involvement uh, in these matters? Um, 
what what do we say about the Holy Spirit when a religious committee recommends somebody incompetent or someone living a lie for a position? Committees usually uh, pray about their decisions before they make them, and yet they really make huge mistakes sometimes. We, we, we have to take that into consideration. Yeah, because they believe that the Spirit has led them to that decision, and yet later it comes out that that was a bad decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So... What's interesting is that Jesus did not work with politics overtly, health practices, or diet. You know, he never condemned slavery. He never condemned the Romans for occupying Israel. Uh, he never gave health advice. So why, if Jesus wasn't involved, why would the Holy Spirit be involved when God gave us brains and each other to figure out how to be just and merciful, humble, and healthy. Mm, good point. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, I, I've looked at the omission of Jesus. I want to look at his commission right now. Jesus brought mm -hmm. us out of condemnation to freedom and joy. Um, Sasha, if you can read John 15, 11, please. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Oh, that's good. In John <laughs> chapter 2, um, he takes you to the first sign, not the first miracle. John calls them signs because they're pointing you in a direction. His first sign is to bring joy at a wedding. Yeah, beautiful. Mm -hmm. The wine runs out, mm -hmm. and he fills up these six huge containers with the mm -hmm. best wine you, that anybody could imagine. In John chapter 2, Jesus also cleanses the temple, and he brings joy to the Gentiles who can now worship there. Mm -hmm. Do you, you get mm. this thing about joy? Yeah. that uh, Jesus mm -hmm. is bringing to people. Interesting. Hmm. And when he cleanses the temple, this is uh, symbolic of his desire to cleanse our temples, our soul mm -hmm. temples, of all our anxiety mm -hmm. and worry about this mm -hmm. and that, and to bring joy mm -hmm. to our hearts, because Jesus loves me. He knows me by name. I'm precious to him. So I'm, I'm leading you down a garden path. Now I'm going to spring the trap. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit is Jesus' representative, and Jesus says, I told you all these things so that my joy may fill you up to overflowing, then isn't the Holy Spirit going to uh, do the same for us. Hmm. Ah, so you're you you're saying the spirit brings joy, not condemnation. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Nice. Yes, I mm. like that. Okay, so mm. one more passage. Well, for the present. John 10 verse 10 says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy 
your life. But I, Jesus, have come to give you life, abundant life. And mm -hmm. I'm including joy in that abundant life. Yeah. 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 And, and so if that's what this, if that's what Jesus is all about, and the spirit is another Jesus, then that's what the spirit is all about. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now we're yeah. connecting the dots. Galatians yeah. <laughs> 5, 22 and 23 um, says that he has the fruit of the spirit. Are you listening? Love, yeah. joy. I don't know if you heard it. Joy. Yeah. <laughs> Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and condemnation. No condemnation there. Oh, really? Not in my Bible. You mean? <laughs> That's not in there. You mean condemnation is not mm. a fruit of the Spirit? Not today. Mm. So... How can we get it so wrong? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the Spirit is not cultivating condemnation in us. The Holy Spirit, like Jesus, inspires us to a nobler life through inspiration and never condemnation. Yeah. I, I love this. So we're the... Yeah. I love this verse in Galatians. It's, it's just so clear. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is yeah. what the spirit brings yeah. about in our life. And, and, yeah. and, you know, and condemnation is not one of those nine characteristics that are there. Beautiful. Yeah. I had to read them very slowly earlier, almost like each one was a mouthful and I had to let it digest or, you know, just dissolve in my mouth. And honestly, the feeling that I got with each word on its own, each word sort of lifted me uh, more and more to a feeling of peacefulness. Um, and, I, and what struck me is that we are all about uh, this idea of condemnation. We are the ones also who are very concerned with making things right or having someone pay for, you know, what they did wrong. Um, and so we are like the masters of condemnation, mm. which is so not the, the kingdom of God. Um, yeah, powerful. So I want you to do the same. Um, experience each statement with uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Sasha? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Yeah. Powerful. As you know, my early life was in mathematics. 
So I'm going to make a substitution here. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Just think of your mathematics. God equals sign love. So in yeah. place of love, I can God. God mm -hmm. is patient and kind. God is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. He does not demand his own way. He is not irritable. Now, get this. He <laughs> keeps no record of being wronged. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. God does mm -hmm. not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. God never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So wow. For our podcast, you can replace love with the Holy Spirit. The yeah. Holy Spirit is patient and kind. Right. Right. Yeah. I want to be a little bit more definitive. The Holy Spirit wants to help us negotiate the paradigm shifts we need to make. Racism, sexism, spiritual arrogance, homophobia, and we need the Holy Spirit to call us beyond our conscience. The Spirit led Peter via a dream to visit Cornelius, a Gentile. There he witnessed Gentiles speaking in tongues and praising God. This caused a cataclysmic change in thinking for Peter, the Jew. His Christian conscience told him that no one could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit before they had been baptized by water. The Holy Spirit had mm. to override Peter's conscience. His Jewish conscience didn't allow him to visit mm -hmm. a Gentile. His Jewish conscience didn't allow Gentiles to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This was a miraculous experience for mm. Peter, and it enlightened his conscience. Mm. That, that is so powerful right. to realize that he mm -hmm. had to violate his own conscience to follow where the spirit was leading. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a very right. disruptive experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So the second point wow. that I think is worth making is we cannot equate our conscience with the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, we could never be called beyond our conscience, as Peter was. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Point number three, our conscience is not perfect. The Holy Spirit is perfect, morally perfect. Mm -hmm. We cannot equate mm. the two without bringing dishonor to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Point number four, if we equate our conscience with the Holy Spirit, then we have elevated part of ourselves to the level of God. Mm -hmm. And then the last point, the Holy Spirit has more imagination than our conscience. We cannot limit the Spirit to what we can imagine and approve with our conscience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that because we by believing that our conscience is the sum total of the spirit, we're limiting what the spirit can lead us to. And that's, that's tragic yeah. to do that. 
Yeah. Well, and this is even like kind of stretching my brain right now, this idea of that this calls us, uh, me, to examine my held beliefs about what I view as my conscience in regards to all of the areas of my life and the way that I see things. Um, so it brings it into inquiry uh, mm-hmm. and curiosity rather than this is set, this is how it is, this is the way, you know? Uh, and, and it's much bigger and it's, it's somehow bringing... Um, it's expanding. It's expanding my view. I love it. Yeah, good. So we need to make a conclusion. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell me if I should buy a Honda, a Toyota, or a Tesla. I have brains, and I have you to help me make that decision. Your bank account might help you make that decision. Yes, thank you. (laughs) for that financial advice. (laughs) The Holy Spirit has bigger fish to fry in my life. Yes, the Holy Spirit can help you find your lost keys, but the Holy Spirit is more about assisting you, giving the keys of heaven to others. When the Spirit shows up in your life, you are blessed beyond measure with the presence of Jesus and his Father. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. This is the source of love, joy, and peace in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, this is such a, um, a message of hope, Ian, to realize that the true role of the Spirit in our lives is to bring hope and joy and peace Uh, instead of what we've usually equated that to. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, that's great. Beautiful. I also want to to just mention, uh, this is probably the last podcast we'll have. We'll take a bit of a break because Ian's going to be away for a little while. And so just to let people know that uh, we may miss a couple of weeks, but we will be back with further podcasts in the future. Mm -hmm. let's pray together dear God we are in your presence we are happy to be with you we want to confess that we have often maligned the Holy Spirit and attributed condemnation and we repent of it you are the great life giver You effect a new birth in our hearts. You change our mourning to joy. We welcome you. And thank you for your ministry on our dark planet. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving up the light and the love and the life of heaven to accompany us on our journeys. You wonderful. We worship you. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. To enable you to share this with your friends, we've developed a website at www.rediscoveringgod.ca where all the podcasts are posted and you can also download a PDF document that gives you the passages that we've been looking at in each podcast that you can review, follow along, or share also with your friends. In addition to the website, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com if you have questions or just would like to share with us. We would be glad to hear from you. Thank you so much.